Hey folks, welcome to the Processing Blue Podcast. I'm Panthers beat reporter Mike K here with Alex Zutlow, my fellow Panthers beat reporter. Alex, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Michael E. K. has a poppet. Uh, <laughs> I think only my grandma gets the opportunity to call me Michael, but okay. What I and was... also and I also said poppin, so I have no idea what's coming out of my mouth this morning. But let's let's have some fun with it. Okay, we're off to a great start here, as you guys can tell. So we're in the midst of this head coach GM search, but we wanted to kind of put a bow on this 2023 season of terribleness. And who better to do that with me than my partner in crime uh, or partner in Carolina uh, sadness, I guess, uh, Alex Zutlow. Um, Alex, we've seen some stuff, huh? Uh, it's been a, it's been a wild first year for you on the NFL beat. Um, before we kind of get into our subjects, I'm, I'm just saying, I, I want to get to kind of, what did you learn about the NFL that maybe you didn't know coming into this beat? I know I'm kind of, uh, you know, shooting from the hip here and just saying, Hey, you know, yeah. rap a little bit, but well, what for people that have never been in this industry who have, who don't understand what we do exactly what what did you take away from your first year on an nfl beat well like you said it was my first year in on this beat covering an nfl team i didn't really know truly what to expect one thing that i'm truly thankful for is having someone who works sincerely as hard as you do mike oh, because it kind of taught me to have a similar motor it kind of taught me to know that anything can happen at any time of course i've had other professional reporting experience where you kind of always have to be locked in on social media you got to be locked in on twitter uh news breaks at 11 30 p.m some nights stuff like this but um uh that was an important wake-up call for me uh was to know just as you always say that the beast of the nfl always needs to be fed um i one important distinction i would say i before this i was covering nascar for the charlotte observer and one thing that you kind of take for granted covering other sporting enterprises like nascar like a sanctioning body like that where it's more of a league is you cover a, you cover a win every week you cover a triumph every week that's what we love as sports writers and i've quickly learned as carolina panthers beat reporter that you've got to find um smaller moments of joy when triumph just isn't in a season if you know what i'm saying um you got to find ways to be creative you got to find ways to keep pushing the uh the stories along what like what makes a team compelling because they're always going to be compelling you got to explain what has went wrong as opposed to always focusing on this guy won or why this guy has done some tremendous things in his career so, yeah, you're letting me ramble, and I can ramble all day, but that's essentially what I learned in my first year in the NFL, and I'm very happy that me and my buddy got to do it together. Well, you weren't the only person who had their first year in the NFL. Bryce Young, uh, the first overall pick, took his lumps. He learned that he had to find uh, joy or, or excitement in those small moments because he didn't have a lot of big ones. Um you know, I think as we move forward, obviously, and I've said this several times, the 2023 season was about Bryce Young. And I feel like given what was around him, 
it's kind of an incomplete evaluation. That said, he's going into year two as CJ Stroud has had a monumental rookie year. He's still in the playoffs after an incredible wild card win. Um, you know, as we look at Bryce Young, he's going to have a lot of pressure on him in year two. I, I think for a first overall pick who didn't, who started right away, the pressure really wasn't on him from the standpoint of like the team or really locally. Um, I think nationally, he wasn't very much in the conversation solely because the Panthers were, weren't really in the conversation, which allowed him to kind of avoid tons of criticism outside of social media, outside of, you know, our weekly grades column, what have you. Now everybody's going to be like, this CJ Stroud kid's amazing. What do you got, Bryce? And fair or not, that's the way it's going to go. So my question to you is what, where, what's his ups, what do you think his, his upside is? And what's the biggest thing you want to see him accomplish going from, you know, his rookie season through this summer with a new head coach to this season? Well, just to quickly dwell on, just to quickly touch on the CJ Stroud aspect of it all, I think it's always been a difficult thing to compare the two. As we've said ad nauseum throughout the season, they're two different situations, um, two two different franchises with uh, <laughs> who are in different states of their building. I mean, the the guy who brought in Bryce Young got fired um, by week twelve in Frank Reich. So there are a whole bunch of things that it's still difficult to parse out who is this guy. But I do understand from an outside perspective, from a fan perspective, that. Um, Bryce Young might catch some strays along this C.J. Stroud run. But um, right after you compared me to Bryce Young in our first years in the NFL, I appreciate that, Mike, you asked me about his, his upside. I think the biggest upside he has is he has this, this clutch gene, this intangible um, thing. He has a sort of charisma when the game's on the line, the sort of where else would you rather be leadership that you saw a couple times a season, which is valuable. Um, and those three times that he kind of let the Panthers fans give reason to dream, um, those three times are the win over Houston, where he took the team on a 15-play, a 86-yard drive in just over six minutes of game time to win that game with a game-winning field goal. Second time was the win over the Atlanta Falcons. That was also a really long drive to punctuate the game, 17 plays. And then... Uh, this was this didn't turn out in a win, but the loss over the Green Bay Packers late in the season, um, he also showed signs of having that like clutch, that clutchness in his DNA. He got the Panthers all the way to the Green Bay 31 in two plays in 19 seconds, right before failing to, or yeah, uh, right before he failed to spike the ball in time to force overtime. And I I thought this was really impressive. And I think it was certainly what the Panthers thought they were going to get when they sold so much for him this past offseason. Of course, now that's his upside. And at the same time, even in this upside, you can kind of see an area in which he can improve, which is in the big plays. When you have to orchestrate 15 play drives, when you have to orchestrate 17 play drives to score, that's unsustainable. We've asked Frank Reich about this. 
like when he was still here. That sort of thing, void of the big plays, is is brutal. It's and uh, so in order to be an offense, in order to lead an offense that can make the big plays, that means being accurate on deep throws. That means being selective about when to throw the ball deep, aka not on third and one, aka not on fourth and one when you haven't completed a deep pass like that all day. Um, I think, and I, I know I'm rambling, I'll, I'll pass it back to you in a second, but I think the stat that best illustrates this idea is, and I have this in front of me, of the 17 Bryce Young-led drives that ended in the touchdown in the 2023 season, a whopping 10 of them punctuated a drive that lasted 10 plays or more, and nine of them took up over five minutes of game time. So what that tells me is the Panthers' offense was rarely going to score quickly if they did score, um, and they were rarely going to make big plays. And for an offense and for a quarterback that's looking to make meaningful strides in 2024, that all has to change. Well, and you, you brought up his clutch gene, and so what I would say is that I'll start off with what I think he actually needs to improve on as opposed to what his upside is. Because in order to get to that clutch moment, you have to be good enough to get to being in the clutch, right? You can't be blown out. You can't get off to a slow start. And I think this offense as a whole, but Bryce in particular, needs to start fast. You know, when you have your first two drives, typically you have your best 20 plays that you practice throughout the week. And so you need to see him start faster. And that's something the next offensive play caller really needs to supercharge here in that he is not a guy who has started fast ever ever it's just not happened like that's you know that there was the drive in Atlanta early in the game um where you're like okay he can he can do this and then since then it's it's really kind of been a you know a slog for him like he wakes up in the second half and the offense wakes up in the second half I would say the thing that I'd like to see him improve on the most is being able to start quicker um, to be able to get into a rhythm quickly, not to have to, you know, climb out of a hole after halftime, right? Like this team never led in the fourth quarter. They were always trailing. So um, I think that that's put the defense in a lot of bad positions. I think that's why you see the sack numbers are down. I think that's why you see the lack of interceptions because teams aren't being forced into mistakes because they're typically in the lead and they're, you know, coasting a little bit. Um, and then I'd say from his upside, look, CJ Shroud was who I would have taken. I, I just like a, po- a true pocket passer. That's the, that's well-documented. I've said it, I've written it, but I think that Bryce Young was still the, for what their philosophy was and what they planned to do. I think on paper, offensively, it made sense to take Bryce Young. I think Bryce Young was leaps and bounds, the more dynamic player on film. No question. So I thought either guy would have been a worthy first overall pick. I still think they're both worthy. I mean, obviously, CJ Stroud immediately is propping up, but you don't bury a guy after one year. If you were comfortable with his size and his durability outlook, he made sense as a number one overall pick. I had some questions. Now I don't, because obviously the kid can take a hit. Uh, He took quite a bit of them, right? Um... I think for him, though, the upside comes with his ability to improvise, and they just didn't allow him to do that during the first half of the season. 
Um, I think he's proven that he can be durable. I think he's proven that he can take hits. Let the guy cook. Put him in space. Design rollouts. Use pre-snap motion. Allow him to to make the best of of his gifts. I mean, he is a true improviser. The problem is, and you see this with Jalen Hurts as well, is when you cut off half of the field, you limit his opportunities. So, you know, you've got to be selective with your rollouts. You've got to be selective with your play design. And I think what he needs is somebody who can give him time to throw and space to throw. And until he gets that, we will never really truly know what this guy has. Well, so like, sorry to cut you off. I But one question that kind of spawned while you were talking at that last part was we asked Thomas Brown what he thought because we because to the outside eye Bryce Young had been making a lot more changes and reads at the line of scrimmage and audibles and all these things and we essentially asked him is he is he doing this more for one and for two is is that part of his game is his quarterbacking when outside of the huddle when the game is in front of him has that developed as quickly as Thomas has wanted him to and you know Panthers offensive coordinator kind of shrugged and laughed and said no I I wanted it to be their day one but that's not how it always works um Mike as someone who has seen the development of Jalen Hurts as someone who has seen a lot of things in the NFL how quickly do you think he's developed in being a quarterback before the ball is snapped but after the team emerges from the huddle like how do you think that he's done in that department I think I think there have been some lumps. I think he's gotten confused with coverage. I think that that's happened pretty regularly. I think uh, blitzes have still been a problem. But I think he is very football smart and attuned. But you look at Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts really struggles against the blitz. He, I mean, he. I think he had the league's uh, worst inter- touchdown interception ratio against the blitz in the league this year. So, um, you know, it'll come in time. I, I think... I think he, I still think his outlook is pretty positive. I mean, I'm not, and I mean, I don't think anybody's going to accuse me of like sugarcoating anything, but I do think he is, he is a guy who still has a lot of untapped upside and I'd like to see him in an ecosystem where he, he is able to succeed. I mean, we see what's happening with Baker Mayfield in Tampa Bay. He's surrounded by weapons. He's got a relatively good offensive line. They're protecting him. I don't know why anyone would think that putting, you know, a similarly sized quarterback in the ecosystem where he failed uh, would be largely successful. And so I think that's something to take away from, from, from this Bryce Young experiment and this, this whole situation. But, you know, speaking of the future, you know, I, I think, you know, when we talk about what this team could look like in a year. Idro Evero is obviously a big part of what happened this past year. He was a bright spot. The defense was relatively good. I mean, they were third against the pass and fourth overall, fourth overall in yardage average, like, and they had a ton of injuries. Every single member, major member of the secondary was injured uh, at some point this season and missed games. So, you know, I think the question here is, you know, as we look at this carousel, how important is it to retain him? And, you know, why is that a doable situation? And so, so what I would say to you, Alex, is 
to you, how important is it if Evero doesn't get a head coaching job, if they bring in somebody new, how important do you think that is to this situation? Okay, um, Mike, I'm smiling because I do have something to say about this that it might uh, it might surprise you. I, I might get ratioed on this online. I might even get flamed for this take by you in a few moments. But Alex Zetlow is team make Ejiro Evero the Panthers head coach this year. This offseason. I, I, he clearly is good at what he does. He's a guy everyone on this defense and largely this team seems to respect, even after coming in and instituting this new defense, this 3-4 defense, after having a pretty solid defense in the Matt Rule, Phil Snow, et cetera, et cetera, Eris. Um, He got the most out of Derek Brown this year, who got snubbed from the Pro Bowl. I think most of, most of the NFL would um, agree with that. He got a lot out of the secondary, like, as you said, was in injured disrepair for most of the year. A couple of guys, and it's true, a couple of guys fell through the cracks in his system, among them Jeremy Chin, who uh, we've talked about. We, he couldn't quite find his niche this year. But in, all in all, Jeremy Chin was uh, the exception, not the rule, under this uh, under Evero's units. Um, Evero's clearly a good figurehead for the franchise, I think. Uh, whenever he's on the podium, he's always making an opening statement, a very coach-like, head coach-like opening statement, lauding the preparation of assistants, his players. He's only 43 years old. I, I know I'm going off a little bit, but I think he should be given due consideration for the head coaching job. I think he ultimately should be offered it based on what he's done in Carolina. And I don't, and and I'm not necessarily saying this to rectify what, uh, not hiring defensive coordinator Steve Wiltz did a year ago. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that necessarily. But hiring Evro is the right thing to do right now. Um, and, of course, if you don't do that, like you said, if you do give a first chance to another younger, hotshot NFL coaching guy, you still need to find a way to retain him. I think, I think and of course, I'm basing this off of one year of NFL experience, but I think a guy like Evero is too valuable to give up. And the way that you ensure that he doesn't leave is giving him the keys to the car. So, look, I think it's very important. I think it's notable that he is represented by Richmond Flowers, which gives them some wiggle room. Uh, Richmond Flowers also represents Frank Smith. He represents... Uh, uh, ben Johnson, Bobby Slowick. So there's an opportunity there for built-in relationships and, and whatnot. I think, you know, he's an interesting study because last year he interviewed for every head coaching job. This year, as of uh, Wednesday, he's interviewed for the Falcons and the Panthers job. He's got a, a, a request in for Seattle. So that's three of the seven openings right now. Um. I think he's got to choose his path wisely. Um, he's coming off two back-to-back -back seasons where his head coach got fired mid-season as a first-year head coach. Like, yikes. So he's had some bad luck uh, along with the injuries. And so I think, you know, if they hire somebody he as head coach and he doesn't get a head coaching job, he really needs to feel out this process, whether his agent represents the same people, whether he has a friendship with these people. Um, because as we're seeing, the interview requests have dwindled a bit, right? N not through probably any fault of his own, but recency bias is recency bias, right? And so 
I think, I don't know if it's paramount to retain him. I will say a mistake that the previous regime made is hiring him, switching the defensive front and system, and then trying to put square pegs into round holes. Like if you, if you retain him, you really need to attack this defense from a, a building standpoint of basing it around Evero. Like last year, you didn't know everybody was like, well, he's going to be a head coach and all this stuff. If they're successful. Well, I don't know. The odds are kind of against him this year. Maybe he gets the Atlanta job. Maybe he gets the Seattle job, but right now you don't know. And so I think if he is retained, you really have to go all in on green personnel that fits. Like we saw how I don't want to say useless, but how underused Jeremy Chin was because he wasn't a fit for the defense. They found out a way to get Itor Grossmatos in there and he had a career year, but that doesn't always happen. Everybody kind of gets lost in this shuffle. If they're a holdover, who's not naturally a fit. Itor Grossmatos is a, is a rare win there because Justin Houston got injured. So I think it is important. I think he's a very good coach. I think he'd make a very good head coach. I don't know if I'm there with you on the head coaching thing, but let's let's talk about this. So we know that you you think Evero should be retained. Who is the GM on that candidate list? Obviously, that big candidate list that came out that you think that they should hire to pair with them. Um. Well. Okay. So I'm not. I am not. Um, exactly sure of the uh, the pairing that will go along with Evro and the new GM. I don't exactly have the robust institutional knowledge that you do when it comes to uh, these playing these coaching careers and how they intersect with these guys in the front offices and stuff. But one name does kind of jump out when I look at the list of potential GM candidates who have interviewed with Carolina or have been requested to interview with Carolina. And the guy that kind of pops out to me, and I'm sure he pops out to you, is the uh, Chiefs Vice President of Football Operations, Brant Tillis. Um, again, I don't know about he and Evero's professional relationship, but Tillis essentially spent his prof- entire professional career with the Chiefs. Um, he joined them in 2010 as a salary cap, like contract analyst guy. Uh, he worked his way up from there. He became the club's lead contract negotiator with players in 2017. He's won Super Bowls. He signed Patrick Mahomes to that record-breaking contract that will likely make Mahomes a chief for the bulk of his prime of his career, if not for the entirety of his career. So um, it's nice to get a winner like that in the building. And this and winning is all this guy has sort of known. Um if the Panthers can get him and uh, and he did interview for the job earlier this week, then I think he'd be a great addition for the franchise. Of course, a question is always going to be, how does he work with ownership? How does he mesh like that? But you won't know until we get further in the interview process. And truly, you won't know until he gets hired and he gets offered the chance. But Mike, what do you think about Brant Tillis? You, you like him? I mean, I think he's a really smart guy, I think. Clearly, he's somebody who the league likes. He interviewed for the job in 2021. They passed over him for Fitterer. He's kind of unconventional in that uh, he doesn't really have a personnel background. That said, he's been around some really smart minds. You look at what Andy Reid has done. You look at, um, you know, how they've kind of built this front office. You know, I think having somebody from a winning program makes sense. For me... 
I agree. I think the league's moving into this Howie Roseman like um, space where you don't necessarily have to be this personnel wizard to to run a, a team. Um, I look at Nick Mateo, who is the um, I just want to make sure I get his, his title properly, uh, you know, because everybody has all these weird things. But uh, the VP of Football Administration for the Ravens who also uh, reportedly interviewed Monday. To me, he is a guy that makes a lot of sense because he's been kind of dipping his toe in the personnel department. He's worked under Ozzie Newsom, Eric Costa, those two guys that are brilliant at making the Ravens a consistent winner. He's been around Jim, uh, John Harbaugh, who uh, is a terrific leader and head coach for several years. He's kind of grown up in the system there, similarly to how Tillis has kind of done that with the Chiefs. Um, Mateo has some league work experience too. So he understands that, um, you know, he's one of those quote unquote calculator commandos. He's not, he's not a personnel guy by nature, but I think that allows you, you've been building this personnel department up. And I know a lot of this personnel department deserves a ton of criticism for their misses. But what I would say is too, I think a lot of their misses come out of circumstance, um, and compounded mistakes by, things that are not necessarily personnel driven. I would say trades and forcing trades and, and doing all this other stuff has really affected their return. I think, you know, it's well-documented my, uh, you know, <laughs> my criticism of D the DJ Johnson pick. I mean, the Macaral pick, like there's a lot to pick there, but I think a lot of that goes beyond evaluation. I think there has been way too much collaboration with the coaching staff let the personnel people be the personnel people. And I think if you were to hire Mateo and were to keep Dan Morgan, who has built this, this personnel group over three years, that makes a lot of sense. The, I don't think that Ben Johnson will ultimately land in Carolina. I've said before, I don't think this is the most appealing job in the market. I don't think this is anyone's number one choice. Uh, yes, money matters and that could turn the tide, but we don't really know. Um, but the guy that I really think makes a lot of sense is Todd Munkin. Uh, you know, he was Georgia's offensive coordinator during their kind of run through the SEC. Uh, he knows how to talk to young players. I think he's really put Lamar Jackson in a very opportunistic, you know, setting. I, I think from, look, Lamar Jackson's Lamar Jackson. He's going to probably win MVP again. He's a phenomenal talent. But I think that Munkins allowed him to be a little bit more protected as a passer. I think they're making explosive plays. I think they're spraying the ball around really well. I think they're making really good decisions. And so I think Munkin, if he is all in on Bryce Young, he got a close-up view in the SEC, right? Um, that that he makes a lot of sense. He's a little bit older, but that's not a bad thing when you have a first-year head coach. I, he also has some head coaching experience from Southern Miss a few years ago. So I, I think there's he's also been around the league quite a bit as well. So I, I like his experience. I think he makes a lot of sense. Obviously, coming from Baltimore, I think Mateo and, and Munkin would have a very clear, similar mindset and working relationship, and I think that's really important. So as we get into that, though, Alex, um, we, we've we've talked about this being our, our kind of our season wrap up. To me, like you're going into this off season, there's going to be 21 free agents, including Frankie Lubu. Brian Burns. Yeah, I mean, Jerry Chin, all these guys. Um, 
you want to keep this stuff together, but a new GM makes it a wild card kind of situation. I've written about the cap space situation. If there was one free agent that you had to retain based on their performance this past year, who would that be? Based on his performance this past year, oh boy. I mean, I guess it depends on if you can get him for a similar bargain, but I think Frankie Liu has kind of asserted himself as among the more versatile and valuable players on this defense. Shaq Thompson goes down. He inherits that leadership role. He is as prolific as he's ever been. Um, I think he's really good. But when you talk about body of work, I think you got to try your best to main t- to retain Brian Burns as well. And uh, I know he didn't have as great of a year as this, or as this past year as he had in previous years. But he is, I think he's too talented and too important to this defense. He's, and also, and of course, this is not in the front of mind of front offices, but he's a guy the fans really love. And he's a charismatic guy who is recognizable to people who aren't diehard Carolina Panthers fans. And I think that's really valuable. I don't know. I I mean, Panthers have had that a few times in their franchise, but he is a guy who can kind of grow into that in this in this era of the Panthers. So when fans sit when the casual fan asks about the Panthers, they don't only think about Bryce Young. I think they also think about Brian Burns as well. Um so those those are my two guys, but if if we're not talking to Alex's heart and we're talking to Alex's head, we're we're taking Frankie. What about you, Mike? What do you? Think? So I think Brian Burns is in a unique situation. I think you know if they can't reach a deal with him by March, they, he's obviously the franchise tag candidate. Frankie Lou is going to be a really interesting negotiation because he he puts up like edge numbers, but he's really a linebacker and he's not really a natural pass rusher. He's more of a blitzer, and I think that that kind of gets lost in this whole thing. So I don't think he's going to get Hassan Reddick money, but I do think the negotiation pool is kind of going to be similar. And I think that might be a problem. It's probably a problem we've got to discuss once we figure out if Evero is going to be here or not, because then his role changes. If they move back to a four, three, he's probably a Sam linebacker. So he's only on the field for two, you know, for two downs um, out of the three. I, you know, I, I think it's, he's, he's going to be an interesting case. That said, you could also get a compensatory pick if he goes and signs a big deal elsewhere. Obviously, they're going to have their lumps, but I think, I think here's the thing: I think if they can sign Brian Burns before free agency begins, I think that that's a win-win-win-win-win for everybody. If they cannot, they do need to seriously consider uh, taking calls on him because this is a team that was so bad, and being this bad without a first-round pick doesn't really appeal to either a fan base or to a new GM. And the new GM's not going to have the stink of having the Matt Rule era. He's not going to have the stink of the McCaffrey trade or the Moore trade. And I know people will take it personally or, or whatever. I think the he Brian Burns is a very polarizing guy, uh, situation right now. He's not a polarizing player, but he's a polarizing situation. And clearly, you know, I, I think he finished like, in the top 45 of, of sacks this season. He was not a, you know, he wasn't like an, you know, the guys who led the league had 10 more sacks than he did. So it's not like he's in a place to negotiate a market setting contract, but he knows his worth. And I, I respect that, but I just, maybe a new GM is going to be able to negotiate that better than Scott Fitterer was, but I guess we'll see. I, I would say if you can, you have to bring back one of the two of them. 
no matter what. Um, and so I think from that standpoint, while you're also negotiating a contract extension for Derek Brown to lower his cap number and, and make things better, uh, you've really got to figure out which one you want. Either way, Brian Burns should be franchise tagged if he's not signed. I mean, you, you don't let him walk, but I, I think it's imperative that at least one of the two of those guys is in this defense next year, regardless of the formation, regardless of the philosophy. Um, they can't let both of them out the door. So, Alex, uh, you've got you've got the duties of the wrap up here. So tell them where they can find all of our great coverage and how they can subscribe. Well, just like the Panthers defense can't let go of these two guys who have really embodied the identity of the Panthers. Uh, okay, I don't know the segue for this, but I'm just going to go to the outro. Thanks so much, all of you guys, for listening. And if you haven't already, as we'll be dropping a few more episodes throughout this offseason, because both the NFL and the Mike Case of the world never sleep, please subscribe and follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts by searching Processing Blue. And if you watch us on YouTube, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and click on the bell icon to get notified whenever new episodes drop. And finally, please be sure to stick to charlotteobserver.com for all your Panthers needs. Stay humble, stay creative, and keep processing.